This episode is sponsored by Postalytics. If you're doing any type of marketing for your startup today, you're probably missing out on one of the most underrated marketing channels there is to grow your business, direct mail marketing. Finding ways to stand out and get attention for your prospects has never been harder. Business people receive over 120 emails per day. The average Gmail account contains over 8,000 messages. With Postalytics, start standing out by delivering personalized messages directly into the hands of your audience to form a deeper impression than email alone. The best part is you can integrate with your CRM to track, trace, and measure the impact of every dollar you spend. So whether you're an agency or startup founder and looking to build out your next direct mail marketing campaign, visit postalytics.com for a free account and start sending direct mail today. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about insider risk, the cyber challenge least talked about in terms of problems in today's industry, which I'm excited to learn more about. Today, we have our guest, Joe Payne, joining us. Joe is the CEO of Code42 Software, a leading data security company that focuses on reducing the risk of data leakage from insider threats. Joe is a seasoned executive with more than 20 years of experience and a proven track record leading high-growth security and tech companies. He engages personally in product strategy and direction while growing and providing vision and guidance to a world-class team of security executives. Previously, Joe served as the CEO of eSecurity, the first SIEM software company, and also served as the president of iDefense prior to its acquisition by Verisign. So welcome, Joe. Super excited to have you on SaaS District Show today. Thanks, Akil. That was a very nice introduction. It sounds like maybe I wrote it myself. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, Joe, I'd love to hear you know, a little bit about your background, past positions, past ventures, up until I think you joined as the CEO, not as the founder at Code42 in 2015, right? That's right. So, uh, Akil, the, the, I, just to go way back, I started out actually as a marketer. And I mentioned that because not many... Um, marketers end up as CEOs. More should. It's a very strategic position in the company, I think. You have to know a lot about customers and products and things like that. But uh, I started out as a marketer in my career and then um, got my first crack at a CEO role in sort of 2001 timeframe and been running companies ever since. Uh, run about five different uh, software companies. My last company, um, Eloqua, uh, was a SaaS marketing automation company. We were the innovator in that space. And um, we ended up going public and uh, eventually being acquired by Oracle. Um, that was quite an interesting time. So uh, I've been running SaaS companies now for 13 years. And as you mentioned in the upfront, uh, before that, I was running a number of uh, security companies. So you were, you know, have you, you joined all these companies CEO? Uh, you know, different, you know, companies were acquired, moved on to the next one, also hired a CEO. Was there any yeah. you know, at that point in your, your life where you thought, you know, maybe I should go and, and you know, be a founder of a new company? Or do you just like being coming in and being able to, to manage, you know, uh, at, at a later stage? That is a really, really good question. And I think one of the, the things that I would tell your audience is figure out who you are and what you're good at and what interests you and what you get excited about. 
and try to find those opportunities in life. And so what I learned is that I really enjoy sort of the growth stage of a company. Call it anywhere from five or 10 million in, in ARR to 100 billion in ARR. And that stage, I feel like where we have the beginnings of a product, um, we've got the beginnings of a market, but now we've got to really uh, accelerate the business. That's really where, where I fit. Um, between my last two companies where I did come in as CEO, I, I actually looked at founding a company with a friend of mine, uh, Harry Weller at NEA. And um, we started working on it and we did some work. And about three months into it, I went back to Harry and said, you know, this this is not for me. This is too hard with no other employees. I, I need to leverage some of my skills and leadership talent in a way that I, I can't do it myself. So to all those of you who are out there who started from zero, I have mad respect for you because it's <laughs> so hard uh, to do that. I just feel like I, I'm i I'm better at helping once you get it to a certain level to helping you grow it to something big. And so that's what I focus on. Nice, nice. And I agree with that. I mean, that's exactly what, you know, Horizon Capital, where we focus, right, that one to $5 million ARR range. So, you know, we'll probably call you once we get to that range. And then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make we'll have a conversation to hit you on board. Um, where, where are you guys in terms of size today? Uh, you know, MRR, team size, user growth. And have you guys raised, you know, additional capital, VC capital, or, or have you guys been bootstrapped? Yeah, no, we we have raised money. Uh, we we've actually raised uh, 137 million, um, and we're about 120 million in revenue, and um, we've got about 500 employees. Um, of that 137 million, about 80 of it went into the business. So that means uh, our founders uh, uh, took off some money off the table uh, over time. You know, our our company was founded 20 years ago, so we've been we've been around a long time. Um, What's exciting for us right now is we've got a SaaS product called Insider, which focuses on insider risk. Um, very creative name there, but we it is spelled weird. So you know that you should give us some credit for that. But Insider really focuses on this insider risk problem. And that product has gone um, from uh, 1 million uh, at the end of two, 2018 to, you know, we're over at... Uh, 35 or 6 million or so in ARR today in terms of, of, of our growth, you know, of where we are in ARR. So the growth of that product has been just in incredible, you know, and it's more than doubling of the last few years, every year. So really excited about that space. And that's really where the focus of the company is today. Nice. So you, you kind of were an entrepreneur within the system of building a product within it. So, I mean, you, you guys do it, but you had a lot more resources, but you made yeah, it work. <laughs> you, know, you nailed it. I mean, we really did have to start from scratch with that product. And, um, and we were fortunate that we had customers and we had a baseline and we had cash. So we didn't have to raise a lot more money. I mean, we haven't raised money since 2015. Um, that's the last time we raised money and we've been sort of operating with the capital we have uh, since then. So um, mm -hmm. that's been really that's been really a, a blessing for us. That's the benefit of having a, a, an, a, a core business that we've relied on to build this new business. Nice. So tell us, what is insider risk? What is endpoint data protection? And, you know, why are 50,000, you know, companies, businesses, enterprises needing a, a management solution like Code42? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that the world has really changed and SaaS and cloud has been um, really the driver of that. And what we see is that uh, organizations today are sharing and collaborating in ways they never did before, which is fantastic. It's make, made us all super productive. So we all use uh, tools like Teams or Slack, uh, OneDrive, G Drive, Box, you know, um, any of these collaboration tools were built to help uh, 
teams really work together and collaborate together. Um, the problem is those same tools also make it really, really easy to um, get your hands on important data in the company and then maybe take that data with you if you leave the organization. So, um, you know, the old way of solving this problem in security was to lock everything down. You know, security's perspective, you know, five years ago was like, look, nobody can use their, you know, their USB port. You know, we're not going to share data. If you try to share data, we're going to block that from happening. And, and that makes no sense in a world where the CIO is saying, no, collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. And the CEO is saying, share, 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 work together. And then the CISO, the chief information security officer is saying, no, no, we don't want any of that sharing to happen. That's bad. And so there's this kind of thing. So up, you know, that's where Code 42 came from. We kind of said, wait a second, we think we can help solve this problem. We've been working in data security for years and endpoint uh, data security with a, a product called Crash Plan. And we, we looked at the problem and said, we can um, allow all that sharing to happen and all that collaboration to happen and just wrap a layer of security around, around it so that people can continue to do their jobs um, and we won't get in their way, but also we can tell if they share data to an untrusted site. So what does that look like in the real world? So um, the number one indicator of risk that you might actually take data as an insider is that you quit. Mm -hmm. um, we, have, we have data that shows that 60% of people tell us that they took data from their last job to help them in their current job, 60%. And that's people wow. that admit to it. We actually think that that's even even low. So it's a very, very pervasive problem. And, um, and you know, you, a lot of people might think like, well, you know, what's the big deal if they, if they took data? You know, that's probably just like, you know, source code or something like something, that's, you know, our, our company's crown jewels, but it, it's not, it's, it's literally every job. It's, it's HR people taking payroll data, which is, you know, really important and privileged data. It is marketing people uh, taking strategic and product plans. It is salespeople who leave and take their entire pipeline and and their, their you know, their sales contacts. And again, you might say, well, shouldn't they be able to take that? It's like, well, if they're going to work for a competitor, which often people are, they, you know, they've been paid to build those pipelines. They shouldn't do that. It is also engineers taking source code. You know, hey, I wrote that routine. I should be able to keep that, uh, you know, anomaly engine that I built. But, you know, part of our job is to help our clients educate their employees. They're like, hey, if, you, if you're paid to build something, you can't actually take it with you. So people tell us that they're taking stuff with them. What happens is it's really easy. I mean, right now, if you want to, if you want to, leave your company and take stuff, the, the most likely way you're going to do that is you just open up a browser on your laptop while you're sitting at Starbucks, you, you, you know, you, and you upload that to your Gmail and you mail it to yourself. And now you have exactly. that in your Gmail forever, right? Mm -hmm. No big deal. And, um, similarly, people do the same thing with their Dropbox account. They might load something up in a Dropbox using a web browser. What code 42 did is we came in and said, okay, we're going to build tech that watches for that and looks for you loading to your Gmail account or your Dropbox account or loading data to any form of untrusted site. And that's been a game changer uh, for our customers, which they had no visibility to this in the past. And now we're providing them visibility. What we don't do is we don't stop that from happening in real time because what that does is that slows everybody down because a lot of times 
employees are just doing their job in real time and, and they're not really trying to do anything bad or wrong. But by watching all the activity, the system can then um, score and alert on things that look really, um, you know, unusual or scary. Or we can organize all the we organize all the departing employees so that you can at least check each one of those to make sure that, you know, they're not taking a bunch of data. You know, I, I find it really interesting and ironic that all um, companies collect your badge when you leave because they don't want you to access the facility. They collect your laptop again because ostensibly they don't want you to get on their network but they never check whether you took all the company data with you when you left. And we're trying to create that as a compliance item for everybody. Like, hey, when anytime someone leaves the company, yeah, get their badge, yeah, get their laptop, but also check to make sure they didn't download all of our corporate secrets and, and put them into their Dropbox account. And so mm -hmm. that's that's really what Code42 does. And I think that explains a little bit about why, you know, why it's necessary today. Yeah, I mean, uh... Generally, they'll just wait till the last day as well to cancel their email, right? So yeah, you'll have no access, but they've probably done it, you know, days before when they knew they were quitting, right? Um, You're a hundred percent right about that, Akil. <laughs> People aren't stupid, right? So what they yeah. do is they get all the information that they think they need, and yeah. then they quit. And yeah. so if the security posture team is like, oh, once we hear someone quits, let's watch them more carefully, it's too late at that point. So one of the things that Code 42 does is we, we watch 90 days at all time. Think of us as a giant DVR. We're always watching 90 days of everyone's activity and, uh, and all file movement. We take what we call a zero trust uh, approach, which is uh, really around, we watch all users and all file activity. And if, if users do something anomalous in that time frame, then, then we'll, we'll alert on it. But again, we don't get in their way. We don't slow them down. We're not, we're not spyware that's looking at what websites they go to unless they upload documents to those websites. You know, And then in that case, we'd say, hey, wait a second, why are you uploading these documents? So, yeah. um, But it's, it's an important thing to think about when you're, when you're building your business for your entrepreneurs out there is... You know, you do need to have the conversation with your teams about who owns the intellectual property and if they leave, what they can take with them and what they can't take with them. I think most organizations would say, of course, you can take your contacts with you and your, you know, your calendar and all that kind of stuff that you take with you. But you really can't take our marketing plans and our sales lists and our and our source code and, and, and things like that. And you'd be surprised, especially a lot of younger workers today, they really don't hadn't really thought about that. They just kind of think, oh, I, I, I can take everything. I mean, I wrote it. I left the copy. Shouldn't I be able to take it with me? You know? And mm. the answer is no, because your boss paid you to write that. And so if they paid you to write that, they, they own it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you, you have that generally in most agreements, right? You have a non-compete clause or a non, uh, you know, uh, in, yeah, non-compete or they can't reuse any of the, the content or the email list, etc. But yeah, I mean, at that point, if you don't have something like this, it's it's too late. Once you find out, we've seen that before as well, like people leaving and they take, you know, see them contacting old clients and whatnot. But at that point, you're, you're being more kind of trying to put out the fire rather than, you know, being preventative and, you know, going to court and trying to do all that stuff. So I think this is, you know, this would be really nice to have something like this to, to avoid that situation. <laughs> yeah, you know, we've seen, it's really interesting. When we first put it in our own company, Every single person who left, every single one took data that they shouldn't take in our own company, <laughs> right? Company. And then, yeah, yeah. And, and, but today, nobody does. What's the difference? They now know we're watching the store because before, uh, and at most companies today, no one's watching the store. Like if the store is wide open and all the windows and doors are open and everybody else is doing it, you know, then people take a lot of data. 
But in general, people are good. And so like, if you just show that you have some controls in place and that you don't expect them to do it, people just stop immediately. In fact, today at our company, almost every employee will email security saying, Hey, I'm leaving, but I want you to know I'm taking these three files because they have my personal information on them or something, you know, like they'll tell them in advance. And it's really, really interesting change and dynamic. Mm-hmm. And that's all about us being very transparent with the organization about what our secure, what our software does and what our security team expects. And then, and like I said, most people are good. Most people aren't that malicious uh, hacker out there. So, I mean, on one side, I understand, right? Like you want to have some sort of control, but on on the employee side, you know, do you ever feel like it, they feel as being an invasive or kind of control, controlling over them? And, you know, that they're feeling that's being yeah. invasive of their space? Some or, people or ask over- that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question. I'm glad you brought it up because some people ask it. Hey, wait a second. Are you you're watching it? To be clear, we're only watching for data that em- that that employees move to untrusted sites. And so that's really it. So if employees are sharing data with our ad agency or they're sharing data with uh, you know our our keyword search agency or they're you know whatever they're doing, none of that gets flagged or there's no issues there. But if employees are sharing company data with uh, with themselves or with third parties or with with somebody they shouldn't you know they should be okay with the company saying, hey, why are you doing that? You know, like why and, and questioning that and challenging that. And a lot of times, by the way, it's by accident. Um, we had an interesting story happen a few weeks ago. We had, we hired a new employee away from another another uh, security company. She joined us as a salesperson. And um, she'd been with us about 10 days. And all of a sudden, she downloaded all of this new confidential material from her old company onto her laptop. And um, our software caught that and alerted on it. And our security team met with her and said, Hey, what's going on here? And she said, Oh my God, I don't I have no idea how that got there. And they said, Well, let me ask you a question. Did you just sign into iCloud? And she's like, Yeah, when I plug my phone into my computer, it made me put my iCloud account in. And what had happened is iCloud automatically copied all of her documents when she was at her old company to iCloud. And then copied them down to her new laptop when she signed into iCloud on her new laptop. And she didn't even know that was happening. And, and you know, that's one thing that Apple does that's really not a good practice. It tr- turns iCloud on automatically um, with, any, with any new machine. And so that's one of those examples where, you know, we, t- you know, we had her delete all that material. We notified the other company so they knew what had happened. They were embarrassed because they didn't see... They weren't using Code 42. And they didn't see the data leave. They, they should have seen the data when she first copied it from their company. you know. Um, but they, they didn't have the tech in place. So that's interesting because that's also a, a, new, a new sales prospect for us because they realized, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we need to be able to see these kind of things. So a lot of times it can be accidental. Um, but we, you know, and so we, we assume positive intent. We assume the employee's not doing this on purpose, but then we verify to make, to, to make sure. So, um, you know, there's no camera. We don't have camera software that's looking at what the employee's doing. We're not looking at their keystrokes. We're not measuring their work productivity or anything like that. We're just watching, hey, this is really important company information. And are they removing it to someplace it shouldn't go? And if so, if the security team doesn't pay attention to that, they're really not doing their job. Mm. And what what are some other like general, you know, say main threats you're seeing to the end user? Let maybe say specifically for B two B SaaS solutions. Um, are you seeing anything on like you know hackers? A lot of hacking, a lot more hacking going involved. Nation states. You mentioned insider threats, or maybe you can share some co- other common threats you usually encounter. 
Yeah, well, so there's, there's, you know, the security industry is, is always evolving and is, and the bad folks are almost always one step ahead because there's such incentive to, 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 to be bad. Right now, we're seeing a huge amount of ransomware out there. Um, so what I would say to all you entrepreneurs out there, you should have a backup strategy and a ransomware strategy, meaning you don't want to be in a position of paying ransom. Um, because if you're stuck having to pay ransom, uh, not only are you lo- out losing out on all that money, you're also two thirds of people that pay the ransom get hacked again within the first year by the same group. Because wow. turns out thieves aren't necessarily um, there's no honor among thieves is an old expression, and and there <laughs> is no honor among thieves. You know they'll tell you that they've you know rid your system of their uh, of their software, but they haven't. They've left back doors. So ransomware is a big deal right now. You need to have backups of all your uh, you know all, all your uh, all your cloud information, but also stuff on your endpoints as well. Um, I, I think the the most important thing, if, if you're, is if I'm talking to SaaS entrepreneurs and CEOs, is you've got to build security in from the beginning today. You you need a whole sec DevOps approach where security is part of DevOps. It's it's not it's not separated. Security is not something we do after the fact. It's not something. Hey, we got to build our product first, and then we'll worry about how to secure it. You've lost if you do that. Security has got to be baked in. Um, I am a 500-person company, and I have more than 20 people in security. And so, like that is a different. Uh, you know, when I was running um, my last company, I think we had three or four people in security with a 500-person company. Um, it's changed. You need you need to have a real focus on security, and security needs to be part of product development, um, and it needs to be something you think about from the get-go. Um, so, you know, mm. getting your... The, the, the most hacks also that we see today are misconfigured cloud servers or just just seeing an incredible amount of misconfiguration, which results in in, in data spillage and data leakage. And it's, um, it's all avoidable. So if you have the right people on the team uh, who understand security and how to secure your, your application, um, that will pay dividends in spades. Because it just takes one... Especially as a young company, if you have one breach, you're done. I mean, you're you're you, 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 if you're trying to win in the enterprise space, you can't afford one breach uh, in your in your in your early days. You lose it all. Yeah, I mean, like so you mentioned, you know, the level of sophistication is growing, evolving in the cybersecurity space. Um, you have 20 people on your team, you know, kind of working on that. What what else are you kind of doing to kind of you know stay ahead of that, right? I mean, you have things like, you know even blockchain blockchain technology, all these things where people are you know trying to be more confidential. They're trying to hide. They're trying to be you know smarter than than your engineers. There's always you know smart engineer out there. So how how are you guys staying on top of that? Um, I mean, I think it's just it's it's just a constant investment in in security, and you know we have sent people to school, we've trained people, we put in new methodologies. Um, but you, we also leverage, you know, some really good cloud technology. We use both uh, Azure and AWS uh, mm-hmm. as part of our product, and we leverage the capabilities that they have because they're some of the best in the world at security. Also, and um, never thought I would say that about Microsoft, but <laughs> but they are. And um, and so, you know, learning how to leverage. Don't roll your own. I mean, so many founders, you know, want to roll their own. Um, Infrastructure. They want to roll their own applications, you know, to run their business. Blah blah blah. Don't do that. You know, invest in best of breed technologies um, to to help you grow your business, and certainly invest in 
if you're going to build something cloud native, I wouldn't do it on um, Jim's, you know, Jim's cloud, you know, Jim's discount cloud service. Um, <laughs> if I were you, I would, I would really leverage AWS or Azure uh, or IBM and any of the public clouds uh, have strong security. Makes sense. Um, so obviously, you know, we're talking to SaaS here. Data is, you know, probably the most valuable asset, and, and you know, all things considered, um, is is there a right time for when a startup to start looking for the solution? Is it after you know, first client, ten clients, hundred clients, or one team member, five team members? You said you have five hundred, so you know, I can imagine a lot more to manage. Is there a right time to look at it and, and invest? Well, you in should it? appreciate that your your first client expects you to protect their data. You know, so I, I think you, I think it's from day one that you need to be worried about data security and what could happen to your data and who has access to your data, and are you building are you building controls in um, both internally and externally, are you building controls in for your customers so that only certain people on, you know, role-based access control is critical for your customers so that only certain people in their organization can access the data through your, through your product. And so all those best practices in software engineering are critically important and they're expected today. And I think all of your clients, even when you're in your first 10 clients, you can't say to them, well, you're only one of my first 10, so I didn't really have time to protect your data. That, that's not acceptable. <laughs> They're not gonna, you're not going to get to your next 10 if that's the approach you take. So um, I think you have, to, you, know, you have to think about it from, from the get-go. And if, if, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, we haven't really given data security much thought, like you're, you need to stop and give it some real thought. Mm. Love it. Um, in terms of kind of the last year, right? You probably see you know a lot more teams having to move remotely. I imagine the number of incidents, the amount of uh, you know, yeah, you know, threats have, have kind of gone up. What what other technologies involved in your solution, and how has it been? How has it had to specifically adapt to to the situation? Like, are you using machine learning now, firewalls, you know, mail gateways, encryption, other things you had to to adapt to? Well, what's really interesting is that when everybody went remote you know, in our industry anyway, and, and, you know, everybody went remote. Um, there was a terrible, um, strain on all the VPNs because most security organizations like, Oh, it's okay. They can just VPN in. It's like, well, we can't VPN in. It slows us down like crazy because everyone's on the VPN and we're trying to use Salesforce to the VPN and all of our product and access all of our GitHub repositories, et cetera, to the VPN just didn't work. And so most companies really limited the use of their VPN, um, and they opened up, they basically opened up their networks. And what's happened is you've got all of these employees now basically riding Comcast or Verizon or whatever. And they have uh, complete autonomy with all of their data and your data. And so, hey, really easy to download Salesforce and, and, and bring it into, um, you know, into my environment, you know, the data into my environment, really easy to access my workday from my from my thing and, and bring it into my environment. So we saw this huge uptick in the insider problem because all of a sudden everybody's at home and they have access to all their data at home. They're off the network. All those network-based tools that people had to keep an eye on some of that data were completely ineffective. And so from our standpoint, from the insider risk standpoint, it just absolutely skyrocketed because insider risk is also tied very tightly with shadow IT. You know, people start using Dropbox. They're like, oh, you know, I use Dropbox for my kids' soccer team and it's so mm -hmm. easy to share data. And so, like, I'm going to use it to share data with Akil. So he's my colleague. We work together. 
I don't, I never really figured out how to use OneDrive. So I'll just share it with, well, if I put the data in Dropbox, I now have it forever because that's my Dropbox account. That's not the company's Dropbox account, right? So right. we see a lot of that happening. Um, we see a lot of Gmail being used, people using their own email system when they're at home. Oh, I mixed it up or, oh, it's just easier to use Gmail and then, then dial into the VPN or whatever. And so we saw a lot of, of, uh, of shadow IT and shadow IT is a huge, creator of insider risk. So for us, it was we've we've had a lot of interest over the last year that's really spiked as people have, you know, as they got through, let's lock down, get figure out our VPNs and make sure our pipes are open. But now let's, oh my good goodness, how do we pay attention to what's happening with all of our data? Because our we don't we can't see it anymore. It's all out on these laptops that are we don't even mm-hmm. know where they are. Are they in Hawaii? Are they in Montana? Are they sitting down the street? You know, because people went everywhere, as you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Another common question, I think, you know, in terms of security is like, specifically for our audiences, they're using things like, you know, open source code or libraries where or maybe they're more vulnerable. Um, I think we've seen in the news, like other security breaches with big corporations uh, where they point as open source code being their weakness, like the, the IP model breach in British Airways, I believe. Is this a, is this a real concern that you see? And, and do you have any suggestions for how to deal with the, the code when building their solutions that way? Yeah, that's probably a whole podcast for a, mm-hmm. a, a deep engineering leader to, to to go through. But just a couple of just a couple of things to think about that I've had from my own experience, which is, um, it's really smart to have source code libraries that um, that are standards for your organization. So I've been at multiple organizations where. When we did a source code audit, it it blew away. Everybody was stunned at how many different libraries we were using. Uh, and so we had way more open source software than frankly we needed to. And so it's not that we... Uh, so open source is fantastic. Strongly recommend using open source software. Um, and when you can, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. But um, limiting your surface area, meaning... Um, use specific libraries that are published internally that you all know we're using this library. So when a vulnerability comes out, you know, do we have that product or not? And it's not like, well, we don't know. So that's 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 a big thing I've run into at multiple companies of mine. So I would recommend doing some standards. It's very normal for a technical founder to say, look, my engineers can use, my developers can use any anything they want. Let, let them use anything they want. You know, I don't want to get in their way of being creative. And if they like this library, they should use it. If they like that library, they should use it. That's a bad practice, just so you know. Give them some uh, frameworks, give them some direction. And that way, it's much easier for you to keep up with where you need to you know, update vulnerabilities when they do come out, when they do get identified, um, as opposed to just having it catch as catch can't. So that, that'd be one, one piece of advice I'd give this audience. Uh, I think that's super helpful. This episode is sponsored by Content Fund, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. Content Fight provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfy.co. 
If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hey guys, just taking a quick break here. If you guys didn't already notice, this episode is jam-packed with value. So what we decided to do is actually split the episode into two separate episodes. So stay tuned for the second part of this episode. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.